Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much prospered as no other people on earth it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before this great nation will endure as it has endured Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it, now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us as we get rolling at 9 o'clock, uh, or excuse me, 9 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this uh, Wednesday, the 14th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And let me say to start our program, let's go, Brandon FJB. That is how I start the program. Let's go, Brandon. And yes, you can uh, you can make those initials at the end or that little acronym there stand for whatever you want, FJB. That's how I'm going to start the program because Joe Biden is... FTUSA. Uh, and you can figure those initials out for yourself as well. Yesterday, Joe Biden signed the ridiculous, unnecessary, and First Amendment crushing Respect for Marriage Act. It is, of course, incorrectly named because this is what they do. Uh, there's absolutely nothing whatsoever that is respectful about the institution of marriage that is in this act. But most importantly, it is wholly unnecessary because same-sex marriage has already been law for over 10 years, determined so by the Supreme Court. It was in no jeopardy whatsoever. None, mind you, they don't care about that. 
they don't care about the fact that the same-sex marriage act that they just made double legal was in no jeopardy whatsoever. The only thing they had in mind here, well, two things that they had in mind here. Number one is deflection and distraction from the real problems going on in this country. And then number two, equally as important, the attack on the First Amendment and the silencing of dissent in the face of that which we do not agree. That is what has been has been going on here. The radical left has been trying to advance the agenda of the LGBTQ community, which is not a marginalized community that's at risk, that is being oppressed, that is being treated unfairly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. None of those things are true. The LGBTQ community is, in fact, bullies. They are predatory. They look for weakness wherever they can find it, and they exploit it, and they attack it, and they cancel it, and they ostracize it, and they try to break it. That is what the LGBTQ community does. And yesterday, Joe Biden held his little ceremony at the White House that included more of the same reprehensible, indefensible, inappropriate conduct that is happening in libraries and schools and, sad to say, churches all across this country. Adult men dressed in women's clothing, oftentimes and usually provocative women's clothing, dancing around in front of children, shaking their oftentimes bare backsides in the faces of said children, while the adults next to the children clap along and encourage the children to dance along with the dragsters and put money into the garb, the clothing of the drag queens. This is literally what is happening and what happened yesterday at the White House. Why would they, what possible reason could they have for doing this? As I said, it's twofold. Let's focus on the first for now. Let's talk about distraction. Let's talk about deflection away from the issues that matter most. Are you aware, because I'm going to assume most people are not, because the mainstream media will not cover it. About the only person who's covered it is Bill Malugin at Fox. Are you or were you aware of the number of people who crossed our border in the in the uh, last two and a half months since the new fiscal year started. Do you have any idea how many people have crossed the border since October? The chances are you do not. The answer, though, is over 500,000 in two and a half months. It was over 5 million in the first two years of the Biden presidency. The border is absolutely being erased you know it i know it the border is absolutely being erased it is becoming a a revolving door for gang members drug cartels drug mules human traffickers some of the worst people in the world coming from all over the world not just all from mexico that's the one. That's the one problem President Trump had, by the way, when he addressed this issue when he came down the uh, golden escalator that day. 
when he ran for president in the summer of 2015, and he said, we're going to build a big, beautiful wall because Mexico is not sending us their best. They're sending us the rapists and the drug dealers and so on and so forth. He was right. He was 100% right. But it didn't sound nice. It didn't sound friendly, and it made it sound like all Mexicans were that way. At least that's what the left wanted you to believe. It's not, but the only thing he got wrong is by saying Mexico. It's not just Mexico that's not, quote, sending us our best. These uh, very violent people trafficking in their drugs and in their guns and in their humans coming across our border, these individuals are coming from Mexico and from all over the world, but specifically to some of the northern triangle countries of Central America, other Latin America countries, South American countries, yes, European countries, Asian. They're coming from everywhere. And Joe Biden cannot possibly allow you to look at that. If you look at that, then you will you will focus and you will realize what an absolute disaster his presidency is. There are parents finding fentanyl tablets in their yards, on their properties, colored to look like candy. They're scared to death about it. They're calling police officers. Police officers are calling to remove it or coming to remove it. And when they touch it, they're dropping over, nearly dead, because that's what fentanyl does. These are real stories that are happening right now. Schools are stocking Narcan. Schools are stocking Narcan in their nurses' offices, in their little health clinics. Why? Because fentanyl might be in the schools. Where's it coming from? The overwhelming majority of it is coming from across our southern border, and Joe Biden can't let you know that. So what's he going to do? He's going to stand up there and brag about how important it is to codify something that was already legal. Same-sex marriage. And while up there, while he's up there, he's going to criticize, or he's going to, yeah, criticize anybody who opposes it and anybody who opposes anything having to do with the predatory LGBTQ agenda. Because they support LGBTQ children and families, we have to speak out. We must stop the hate and violence like we just saw in Colorado Springs where a place of acceptance and celebration was targeted for violence and terror. We need to challenge the hundreds of callous, cynical laws introduced in the states targeting transgender children, terrifying families, and criminalizing doctors who give children the care they need. Wait a minute. What is this stupid bag of Metamucil screaming about? You're supposed to be there talking about same-sex marriage. You know the thing that you needed to make legal that was already legal, that is now double-secret legal. What are you talking about doctors performing gender mutilation, bodily mutilation surgeries on children for? Why are you doing that? Everybody all together now. Distraction and deflection, that's why. We have to protect these children so they know they're loved. And we will stand up for them and say they can seek for themselves. You call cutting off healthy human organs out of young, pre-adolescent and adolescent children, cutting off healthy organs because sometimes they may express an interest in something that is not necessarily biological to them that a biological male might sometimes express some feminine qualities. 
that a biological female might sometimes express some masculine qualities. And having them groomed and coerced and talked into becoming something that they're not because of some of those tendencies, you call forever mutilating their bodies. Irreversible surgeries. Irreversible puberty blockers that will stop them from developing as they normally would. You call that caring for children? You're a barbarian. You're a butcher. Joe Brandon, you're a butcher. And one day, and I don't think that time is far off, when your judgment comes, that is going to be at the forefront, I believe, of said judgment. What did you do to these healthy young children that were made in the image of God by telling everybody they must support the mutilation of those children and then call it, as the leader of the free world, protecting them? Folks, racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, transphobia, they're all connected. But the antidote to hate is love. This law, there is no organization on this planet. Now, let me rephrase. In this country, I won't go to the ends of the earth because I don't know everything. There is no organization in this country that promotes hate, promotes division, promotes separation than the LGBTQXYZ community. No one expresses more hate. They left a long time ago the desire to be left alone. They divorced a long time ago the belief that they just wanted equality. A long time ago they decided that is not nearly enough. Don't just leave me alone. Don't just give me equality and equal rights. You must celebrate me, throw parades for me, wear, cl- wear color that shows that you support me. If you don't celebrate me, I will destroy you. That is literally the LGBTQ agenda. We will cancel anybody that doesn't dance in our gay parades in leather thongs and studs with dog collars and leashes. We will cancel you, ostracize you. We will get you fired. We will get you suspended. We will get you expelled. We'll do whatever we have to do if you don't celebrate us by calling us our pronouns. If you don't affirm us. By acknowledging that we might not be human, we might actually be pups. Do you know that there are American Army and military officers right now who posed for their military official photographs wearing dog masks because they believe they are furries, they're not human, they're trans species, not transgender, not transsexual, but trans species. And if we don't Embrace their trans species identities. We are the bigots. These are not victims. 
These are predators. And Joe Biden stood there yesterday celebrating predatory behavior from the LGBTQ community, celebrating grooming behavior, coercive behavior, recruitment behavior of little children into that lifestyle with drag queens and more, and then said, if you aren't part of this, you're part of the hate group. You heard him. If you don't celebrate this, you're racist, you're anti-Semitic, because they all are connected. His words, not mine. Racism. Anti-Semitism, homophobia, transphobia, they're all connected. So if you don't celebrate pronouns and dance in gay pride parades and celebrate, and this was supposed to be about what yesterday? Just same-sex marriage. But it couldn't just be about that because that already existed for over 10 years. It's been legal, said so by the Supreme Court. Brittany Griner just came home and Joe Biden stood there on national TV and referred to her wife. Sounds like same-sex marriage is already going on. So what was yesterday for? Deflection and distraction away from what is really going on. This country is going to hell in a handbasket under the Biden leadership. He's on Twitter, or his team is, Bragging about the fact that yesterday we found out that uh, the November uh, inflation number was 7.1%. Saying, look at what a phenomenal job we're doing with inflation. Because two months ago, it was 9%. And so I'm thinking, oh, look at a great job we're doing. What they won't tell you is that when Joe Biden took office, inflation was at 1%. It is right now seven times worse than it was when he started. And he can't have you recognizing that. He can't have you promoting that, sharing that, spreading that. So what's he got to do? You can't see the border. He went to Arizona and refused to go down to the border because the press pool would have gone with him. And the press pool would have then seen firsthand what the only people who see are the ones who watch Bill Malugin see on Fox. He doesn't want you to see the inflation numbers. He wants to go on Twitter and send KJP diversity hire Karine Jean-Pierre, who is only there because she's gay and black, and they said so. The press secretary, they want you to listen to her talk about what a phenomenal job it is because gas prices have sunk to under $3 a gallon. The president's doing a great job of lowering gas prices, she says. They don't want you to know that they're still over a dollar, dollar a gallon more than they were when he took over. He wants you to think that it started at 5 bucks a gallon when he got here, and now that it's under $3 a gallon that he's done it. These people are not stupid, but they are evil. And they think that you're stupid enough to fall for this. Unfortunately for them... We're not, and we see exactly what is going on. The Disrespect for Marriage Act yesterday that was signed into law by Joe Biden while ripping half or more than half of decent America believing in family values, while they danced with drag queens and promoted deviance and, and sexual perversion all over up and down the spectrum, The individual that did all of that thinks that we're too stupid to know what he's doing. We know they're deflecting. We know they're distracting from the real problems of this country. And we know that their goal is to stop you from ever being able to complain about it. 
the First Amendment is under very serious attack, maybe now more so than it was even yesterday or the day before. Because now if you complain about any of the above things, you can be sued. You can be brought up on civil charges thanks to the Disrespect for Marriage Act and their refusal to carve out exceptions for religious and reasons of conscience, conscientious objections and religious objections to same-sex marriage. You don't get those rights anymore. Make the cake, bigot. We are all Jack Phillips now. We are all Baronel Stutzman now. We are all Lori Smith now. And that's exactly the way they wanted it. Evil of this type knows no bounds. It's 927. That's a longer monologue than I wanted to do. Uh, we will do our Pledge of Allegiance, but we'll do it after the break at the bottom of the hour. Patriots, before we get to the news, let's go ahead and rise. Let's uh, rise and say our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in the blank show that went on at the White House yesterday, you don't have to say the pledge. You can instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Ohio Board of Education member Brendan Shea got some work done yesterday. He'll join us next to tell us about it on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob Frantz on The Answer. Okay, 939, a little late coming back, a little bit late getting out, but uh, some of the stuff that happened yesterday at the White House is worth our time. Some of the stuff that happened yesterday at the Ohio Board of Education in Columbus is definitely worth our time. We have been following this story very, very closely for the last several months. It's something that should not have taken several months, but it did for a variety of reasons, and that, of course, uh, is a vote on a resolution written by uh, Ohio Board of Education member Brendan Shea to oppose the changes to Title IX trying to be forced upon all states, including Ohio, by the Biden administration. Well, Brendan Shea joins us right now to tell us that we uh, we finally have some resolution to that thanks to yesterday's vote. Uh, Brendan, thank you for joining us again this morning. How are you? I'm very well, Bob. Thanks for having me back on. It's a very important resolution. How long has it been now? I want to I want to do the timeline here before we talk about what finally happened yesterday. This was like what August or September? When did you first propose this resolution? I first introduced it at the board in September. So this this will have been the fourth month that it took to get it done. Okay, and and this is such an important thing too. So just for the sake of clarity, for anybody who may be a new listener and maybe just didn't know, know too much about what we're talking about right now. Tell us what your resolution was in response to. Tell us what the Biden administration was is recommending and trying to push and force upon all states, including Ohio. Sure. So the Biden administration, through the U.S. Department of Education, is attempting to rewrite Title IX, the law passed in 1972, the Education Amendments of 1972, to now redefine sex to include uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. So they are attempting to redefine sex. So that is the crux of the matter. And they're attempting to, uh, to marry education dollars, uh, both in terms of education dollars from the Department of Education and from the Department of Agriculture as it pertains to uh, lunch money for students in need. 
they're attempting to connect that to schools and districts adopting a gender identity policies. So that's that's the crux of the matter. In uh, in August, uh, Ohio's attorney general joined a lawsuit with 21 other states against the Department of Agriculture because that rule did take effect. And so that was really the catalyst, uh, you know, to jump in and, and to attempt to endorse and to support our attorney general and to raise awareness on this issue for the public and for school districts and, and really board members as well. Local board members are certainly um, my intended audience. And I think what passed, and we can talk more about it, mm-hmm. but I think what passed yesterday will really aid that process. Yeah, I do too. Fortunately, I, the way I've been describing what you just described is the uh, Biden administration has said if you don't allow boys to de- shower with girls and play on girls' sports teams, then we'll starve your poor kids. That, that's my summary. I think everything you just said in in an artful fashion is summarized in my fashion, and that's exactly what they're saying. We will starve your poor kids. No free lunches. No reduced price lunches for the kids of Ohio unless you allow. Title IX to be changed, thus telling anybody who thinks that they're a girl that they are a girl and they can participate and use the same shared private spaces as actual girls do. In other words, shredding of Title IX that has provided so many protections for girls for the last 50 years. Uh, so that's, that, that's the summary, and that's why we needed someone to step up. And you did. Now, again, before we get to the specifics of what happened yesterday, there was significant pushback against your resolution, which simply said, we want to direct our state superintendent to issue guidance to all school districts in the state of Ohio that say, we reject said changes to Title IX because we are not going to abandon our girls. And the fair play that they have gotten and the opportunities that they have gotten in the last 50 years by saying, well, you're not really a girl. Anybody can be a girl if they just say that they're a girl. Your resolution essentially said we're not going to kowtow to that. The threat, though, was that they would then pull that funding, as we talked about, from the Department of Agriculture for the poor kids. So you couldn't get it passed in September. They punted it to October, and you couldn't get it passed in October. They punted it to November, and, of course, uh, they didn't get it done then either. That's why we had to have yesterday happen. Can you tell me what the objections were, Brendan? Sure. So in September, when it was was introduced, you know, in in fairness, the the board's ordinary procedure is that the same month that something is introduced, it doesn't get a vote. So the, the normal procedure would be it's introduced in September, and then it would be on the board's voting agenda in October. So, you know, that, that's what transpired. And then in October, uh, the, the board voted to send it to a committee. So the board voted to send it to a committee uh, under the guise of, you know, further study, and there's a lot of legal ramifications at play. And so that went to a committee on October 31st. And, um, you know, ultimately that October 31st committee meeting, there was a, a lot of nothing. I mean, there there. There wasn't, in my opinion, a serious attempt, you know, there wasn't a serious attempt to, to bring in legal experts and, and, and really understand the issues. I tried to provide that myself. You know, I, I've done a lot of studies speaking with attorneys, uh, so I tried to provide that myself. But I, I didn't get the sense of a very serious, intentional, urgent effort uh, on, on the part of the board and, and leadership, you know, to, to, to push this through and, and to... Uh, you know, to get the necessary information that they felt like they needed. So then it went to our November meeting, and there was an executive committee meeting in November. And we did a lot of work between October and November. I worked with Mike Toll, 
who's just done, I, I believe, heroic work on this alongside me and, and others, um, you know, to, to come up with a version that could be acceptable to the board. And, and because of his advocacy, because of his work, uh, you know, and along with others, we, we were able to come up with a product that maintained and retained all of the necessary things that we thought were important. Um, you know, we, we cleaned up some of the language, you know, made it maybe a little less hard-hitting, but the objectives are still right there. You mentioned, I thought your description was spot on about what the Biden administration is attempting to do. That pithy description, people need to hear that because they'll respond to that. Well, those types of issues that you raised, the resolution raises, and those are still in there. And, and you know, a lot of people wanted to take those things out. They wanted mm-hmm. to take out mention of uh, boys and girls' bathrooms because some people are offended by that being an issue and biological males competing in women's sports and the pronoun issues and, and all of these things. But th- those are still in there because we needed to name the problem. And, and we needed to name the thing that when people hear about, they say, the vast majority say, well, well that's wrong. That's simply wrong. Right. And, and so we were able to keep those, those things in there. We did a lot of work. And then, thankfully, it passed out of executive committee in the November ordinary executive committee meeting. And we pushed to have it considered the next day by the full board to have a vote. But that would have been under emergency consideration uh, because the ordinary procedure is that when something comes out of committee, it then goes to the next month again. And so we, we said, look, this has been going on now for three months. People should know where we stand. We've heard from many, many members of the public, you know, many hundreds if you include written correspondence. And, uh, but the, the board at that time was not willing to consider it under an emergency. So it, did, it, did, it was deferred until December. And I want to come back to Mike Toll. To talk more about that. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, I want to come back to Mike Toll in a moment here. We're talking with Brendan Shea, member of the High Board of Education, who wrote the resolution here that uh, we've been discussing that was punted and and uh, sent to committee needlessly and uh, wasted time there. Finally got passed yesterday. I got a word yesterday from uh, Board Member Hagan that it was passed ten to seven to one. So, what was your? Were you surprised when you saw that? And which individuals flipped and voted for it that had previously given indications that they were completely against it? Yeah, so, um, you know, it, it passed, as you said, 10 to 7 to 1. And, uh, the, Who abstained, the, by the, the way, if I may vote, ask? It, 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 is, I'm sure it's a matter of public record, so you're not breaking any secrets here. But who, who didn't vote yay or nay? Who, who, who abstained? Who was the one? Uh, th- that individual was Mark LaMancha. Uh, he's an appointed member. Okay. Uh, he, he abstained. But of the 10 yes votes, uh, six of those were elected members. Four were appointees. And then of the uh, of the seven, uh, you know, of course, that was the rest of the electeds. And then two appointees, uh, one, as you mentioned, abstained, and one appointee was was absent. But this appointee had voted last month for the emergency consideration and had indicated that he wasn't going to be at the December meeting because of something previously scheduled. So, but that was that was the breakdown. I wasn't terribly surprised. Um, you know, we've been working very hard behind the scenes. I think, you know, the members that voted for it, even those that voted to take one thing out, and I can, I can share with you what that was. Please. Um, I think by and large, they, they agree with that. I think there's just, there's just a real discomfort in this environment when you've got, you know, dozens and dozens of, of people, most of them just real activists coming in mm-hmm. and just, just spewing real vitriol, uh, in, in public testimony. It's, frankly, it's intimidating. 
Yeah, uh, I get know, it. So I, I, I get it, and it's yeah. it's it's so very important. Uh, I'm glad they were able to to put some of that aside and cast votes that were right here in the protection of girls. You know, uh, particularly a lot of you know a lot of leftists who consider themselves feminists or feminist supporters uh, cannot cannot square that with opposing things like a change to Title IX. You have to oppose a change to Title IX if you truly are feminist. You care about girls and women's causes. You cannot allow them to just be uh, you know uh, infiltrated, if you will, by non-women or, or pretend women. If you care about women, then you then you keep Title IX in place, which is what this does. You, you mentioned there were there was a little bit of language that was changed or something that was taken out. That was one of the most important questions I had for you. Um, how close is this bill that passed yesterday to your original bill or to the bill that was amended by Mike Toll? Right. So from my perspective, we got 90%. From my perspective, it's 90%. The reason I say that, what what was taken out yesterday, and it was very clear, that their tactic yesterday, those who were opposed to this, their tactic was going to be death by a thousand strokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they started right out of the gate with a, a motion to uh, remove the preamble. Now, the preamble, I'll admit, contains some language that I, I really believe in and I think is very important. You and I talked about this a couple months ago. Uh, this was some of the language that talked about the reality of, of biological sex, male and female, and the fact that there are objective truths objective facts, and that some things are not fluid and do not change. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, that, that was removed on a vote of 11 to 7. Uh, so that, that was removed. Uh, to me, uh, that, that's a strong foundation for the resolution. It's a strong foundation for society, th- those ideas. So I wanted it to be in there, obviously. Um, you know, but what we were left with was many objectives we had from the beginning. Uh, it's still... Uh, opposes the Biden administration's proposed regulations. It endorses Attorney General Yost. It, it outlines the specific problems that I already mentioned. Uh, it, it, we were able to keep in on a vote of nine to nine. So the vote, the motion to remove the letter to go out to schools, it failed on a vote of nine to nine. So we narrowly were able to keep that in there. But I'll mention one thing. This that, well, is it, it, let's not gloss over that, if I can. Brendan Shea, member of the Board of Education. Let's not gloss over that. That's enormous. Isn't that the crux of it all? I mean, it's one thing to pass a resolution if it just sits in Columbus and has no teeth. If it's not, as it says in the uh, in the resolution, be it further resolved, the board uh, directs the acting superintendent of public instruction to issue within 21 calendar days, calendar days a mailed copy of this resolution and a cover letter approved by the board to every uh, district uh, and every elementary or secondary school or preschool program licensed by the Department of Education receiving federal funds. If you don't send this to every district as that directs, what's the point? You have to tell them this is what the superintendent of the state of a board of the state uh, says, a state of edu- uh, board of education, or excuse me, department of education, and the board of education says if we don't put that in the hands of every administrator across the state, then what's the purpose? I completely agree, and thank you for pausing on this because when you want to talk about the biggest victory yesterday in the passage of this resolution, it directs within 21 calendar days the state superintendent to send this letter out not just to every district generically, not just to every superintendent, but to every superintendent and each and every elected board member for every single district around the state. Not only that, but they'll get a copy of this resolution. So they'll get a cover letter that contains important information about where their state board of education stands, the resolution that they passed, and some key information about the status, the very uh, 
uncertain and shaky status of a regulation and a proposed regulation. So that, so, to me, was the number one goal, and we achieved it yesterday. That, what that is was the huge. recourse, though, for you and the board or the state, state superintendent if districts receive this, boards receive this, and say, too bad? That might be the guidance, that might be the directive from the board, the state board and the state superintendent, but we're going to follow the federal guidelines. We are going to allow boys to be in these particular spaces and on these particular teams because we think it's right. What recourse is there for you? There is none. Not at the, not at the state board of education level. There's no recourse on that issue. And so I'll readily admit that this is going to take strong individuals, board members, community members to, to, to really get uh, engaged in, the local, in their local level. But what I hope this does is it provides some information and it provides an example and empowers individual board members to say, look, this is what our state board did. We don't have to do these things that our legal counsel is telling us we have to do. Uh, and the risk isn't as one-sided as our legal counsel has been telling us. The legal counsels all around the state are saying, look, the ship has sailed. you got to do this or you're going to lose all sorts of funding. Actually, no school or district has ever lost funds because of a Title IX violation. That's number one. Number two, look at the risk on the other side. Just last night, I, I saw on a Fox News article about how a, a teacher from Maslin, Ohio, uh, is now filing a lawsuit against the district for being fired within two hours of telling the district this August that she was a little concerned about their new policy on gender identity and pronoun usage. She was, she was fired. There wasn't even a complaint from a student, but, but, but she was fired. And so that does, it doesn't need she to be dared that dared express way. her opinion and, as an educator and as a shaper of young minds. She dared express concern about that, and she was fired. See, this is the kind of stuff that is just um, – it's beyond the pale, and it's what we have to address, and I'm glad you got a good start on this with this resolution. I wanted to ask you one other question. I mentioned Mike Toll. He uh, amended and worked with you very closely on this uh, final resolution, which was passed yesterday, and I'm so very glad about that. But from what I read and was told, he has asked for or applied for reappointment to the board. He is an appointed member, and Mike DeWine did not reappoint him. Mike DeWine is reappointing many of the left-of-center individuals who requested reappointment to the board and some others who are not on the board who are also expressing uh, more... um, What's the word? What word do I want to use? More um, support for, I guess, if you will, uh, the Biden administration's position on this particular issue. Um, why do you think Mike DeWine did not reappoint Mike Toll to this board? Is he being punished? I don't have an answer for you on that, Bob, and it's gravely concerning to me, not only on this issue, but if you look at the body of Mike Toll's work, it's 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 impressive. I mean, Mike Mike Toll. Of, of all members, and, and I try to raise concerns and, and hold the department accountable. Uh, John Hagan, Diana Fessler, Jenny Kilgore. I mean, there, there's, there's many of us that are attempting to, to rein this department in, but Mike Toll might be more effective in doing that consistently than any of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mike, Mike Toll is, is just a, a no-nonsense, business-minded member of that board. He's not known for being some sort of wild conservative, you know, uh, activist or troublemaker, he came on board with this resolution because he believed in it. He believed it was common sense and the right thing to do. 
But he's been a very impactful and very effective board member. He was the chair of the budget committee, uh, which I think you know passed a resolution that, that on the whole was good. Obviously, there's some things that we, we want to rein in, but on the whole, it was a, it was a good resolution. So I, I don't have an answer for you. I think he should be the president yeah. of the State Board of Education. Yeah, you don't have to. Um, I, I'll, I'll give the answer for both of us and for anybody else who's got an ounce of common sense. The answer is that Mike DeWine is not a conservative Republican who supports girls and women and family values and science. Mike DeWine is a far-left radical progressive who opposes girls and the actual identification thereof by way of science and, of course, protecting them and of family values. We have We have a wolf in sheep's clothing in the governor's office making decisions like this. There, I answered it for you. Uh, Brennan Che, I'm so glad you did the work you did on this. Congratulations. I'm glad it got passed, but I know the work is just beginning for you and so many other ways. Assuming you're allowed to even have any more powers, depending on what happens with with, uh, 178, which, as I'm told, is going to be voted on in the House today. So, obviously, there's still a lot more concerns that you have. But for now... We'll take this as uh, as a as a great sign and as a great accomplishment, and we'll uh, we'll count it as a Christmas present. Fair enough. Absolutely, Bob. I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Brendan Che. Appreciate you. All right, it's nine fifty eight. Always right radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Our number two is underway now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday, the 14th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. What do you say we come in hot? Girls grow up to be the mommies. Boys grow up to be the daddies. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Everybody put up your hands from my boy, Fred Rogers, straight out of the Trophy, PA. Fred Rogers in the house. You know, everybody's fancy. You. Me. Born a boy, you stay a boy. Everybody's fancy. You. Me. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Girls are girls right from the start. Now only boys can be men, only girls can be ladies Just like the leather trim in the back of my fans When you're cruising down the street and it happens again When you know she's a bobby but she thinks she's a can When you're out on the green, watch your ass are the caddies Only girls can be mamas, only boys can be daddies Now you're in LA, in the streets, it's the daughters But when you're in the hood, it's my boy, Mr. Rogers Everybody's fancy You Me Everybody's fancy Everybody's fine Your body's fancy and so is mine Some are fancy on the outside Me Some are fancy Fancy on the inside. Me. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. Passing my grabbing to speak from the heart. Hey, but two genders, two genders, ain't nothing but men and women. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. You. Yeah, Fred Rogers in the house. Everybody's fine. Tell it like it is. You, me, featuring Pastor Mark Robinson. Hey, but who cares? Featuring your boy, Johnny Hyde. 
by way of our friends. WHK, take us home. <laughs> take a song called Everybody's Fancy. That I think everybody's fine. Take us home indeed. Everybody's fine. DJ Johnny Hiles. Working with Fred Rogers, a little collaboration with Pastor Mark. That was outstanding. Hey, you dig it. <laughs> the uh, the American left has never been more angry or upset with Mister Rogers' neighborhood than they are now. What about eighteen years after his death? When did he die? Didn't he die like two thousand four, something like that? The American left has never been angrier with him than they are right now because they've discovered his, his song from the 19, uh, 1960s, 70s. I don't know exactly when he first did it. When did he die, Johnny? 2003. I was close. Okay. So uh, they've never been more furious because uh, we are just playing the hell out of this, uh, and with good reason. You know, the original Everybody's Fancy, Everybody's Fine uh, thing from uh, from uh, Mr. Rogers. I mean, it, it goes like this, if you haven't yet heard this. Boys one. are boys from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Only girls can be the most. It's like he's just trolling them from the grave. Seriously. I mean, that line in and of itself, boys are boys from the beginning, girls are girls right from the start, is enough to trigger the American left into just a, you know, just a, a massive implosion. I mean, just, you know, we're, we're, we're just talking a level that you cannot imagine. And then he raises the bar after... Girls are girls, or boys are boys in the beginning, girls are girls uh, right from the start. Then he ups the ante with the mommies and daddies. Only girls can be the mommies. Only boys can grow up and be the daddies. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body fancy. And so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. It's just, uh, it's just too... Perfect, absolutely perfect, and that's why. By the way, what we needed to be playing at the the White House yesterday, rather than drag queen uh, dance time, they needed to be playing that. Uh, rather than uh, uh, you know having uh, the drag queens in the libraries, how about we just put all of the library TV monitors on for about a minute and a half a day and play Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, which used to be how we raised our kids between Mister Rogers' Neighborhood of that era and the Sesame Street of that era. Public broadcasting television was actually worth something. Uh, boy, how times have changed. But I just love that he is trolling them from the grave, just literally sticking it right in their eye. Phone lines are open, 216-901-0945, 888 We've covered a lot of ground in the first hour of the program. Coming up in a half an hour, we're going to talk with um, Chris Chemelinski. Uh, we're going to talk about um, uh, the border problem. Uh, over, what, 1,500 Migrants came across in a caravan two nights ago. Over 500,000 since October. It's two and a half months. Over 500,000 crossings, and the Biden administration is telling you, don't look over there. Look what we just did. We, we lit up the White House in rainbow colors. Yay! Yay for love! Don't worry about the fentanyl. 
Don't worry about the drug trafficking. Don't worry about the human trafficking. Don't worry about the gun runners. Don't worry about the cartels. Don't worry about the surrender of national security. Don't worry about the people on the terror watch list all coming across the border. Look what we did. Love wins. Yay! Don't let them do it. Don't let them get away with it. We're going to talk to Chris Chemelinski about that coming up at uh, 1035. Then at 1110, Jack Windsor will have some reaction to everything going on in uh, Columbus right now, including the passage of the Shea Resolution from yesterday we just talked about. And this morning, it looks like, Senate Bill 178 has passed out of the House Committee, the Primary and Secondary Education Committee. And from what I am told, they would not have passed it out of that committee if it wasn't certain to pass out of the full House. That means it will pass out of the House, already passed out of the Senate. It will go to Mike DeWine to sign, and he will sign it because he will be given consolidated power to essentially establish all policies and curricula in the state of Ohio. Mike DeWine wanted education. Mike DeWine got education. That's the way this is going to play out. So if you have thoughts on any of those things, dial me up, 216-901-0945. Andy is in Middleburg Heights. Let's get him up and on the air right now. Andy, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Good morning, sir. Good morning. The Three Musketeers, Bob France, Bongino, and Carson, Tucker Carlson. I tell you, you guys are the only one that were born with some stones that aren't afraid to get out there and say the way things are. You know, about 80 years old, I'm so frustrated. I, you know, I'm, I'm on a walker. I, I, I'm limited to what I can do. I'm handicapped. I'm so frustrated when I'm, I turn the TV or the radio on, and they're telling me about all these illegals coming over the border with the drugs and everything you were just talking about. Aren't there any Republicans that have any stones that will get up and, and do something with Trump started to close that border? Can't, they, can't someone override this idiot and that they call a president? I mean, there's got to be something. I, I don't want to see my grandkids have to put up with this. They're bringing disease and, and pills. And, I mean, it, this is so frustrating. You know, I, I want to do something, Bob. I want to do something. I feel like I'm trapped. I really feel like I'm trapped in my house, that I can't do something to get one of these guys. You know, even Jim Jordan, all these guys, all they keep saying, oh, we're going to send a letter. Or we're going to investigate. When is someone going to actually do something? I mean, we're sitting well, here watching here's the reality, Here's the reality, Andy, and and thank you for the call, my friend. God bless you. Try not to get that blood pressure up. Let's uh, let's let's chill out just a little bit here. But let me give you some some reality here. The reality is, you're right. We are trapped. You're trapped. You say you're trapped in your house, and it's because you're on a walk and you're handicapped. No, we're all trapped when it comes to what we can do or cannot do here because we don't have the numbers. Now, we were hoping we would have the numbers after the midterm election. It's what we pointed to for two years since the theft of the 2020 election. We said, let's just wait till November of 2022. We'll get the House back with a significant majority. We'll get the Senate back, and then we'll do some things. But guess what? The 2022 election did not result. The midterms did not result in the numbers that we wanted. So, you know, even when the next Congress starts, yeah, Jim Jordan and his his committee and James Comer and his committee and, uh, you know, all of the, the Republican-led committees, they can start doing some things. They can propose some legislation to uh, to cut off the border. You know, and by the way, it's going to get worse before it gets better. If you didn't know this, we're less than three weeks from an end to the Title 42 
provision that said we can turn people away because of COVID fears, because of COVID, um, you know, the potential spread of COVID, individuals who come across, we can turn them away and send them back to Mexico uh, until they, you know, test negative or whatever the case might be. But Title 42 was allowing us to expel a certain number of, of migrants. That ends and it's not going to be re-upped by the, by the Democrats. That ends in like 16, 17 days, less than three weeks. And so the flow is going to be even worse. It's just the spigot is going to be full on open, and they're going to continue to pour. So you say, what can we do? And, and the answer is not a whole hell of a lot. You don't get to establish policy from the House. You don't get to establish, uh, you know, a border policy uh, unless you are in the executive side of things. You can say, well, I'm going to pass a law. And you say, I want to pass a law saying that we need to strengthen the border and simply claiming asylum is doesn't work, which, of course, you're going to get a pushback and challenges from the Democrats saying that people have a right to claim asylum if they're seeking legitimate, uh, uh, you know, asylum from, uh, from war or from famine or from, from religious persecution or whatever in their home countries. And as long as they say asylum, we have to give them a hearing on it. That's the rules. So you can pass a law saying, let's change those rules. So, okay, let's say for the sake of it. Jim Jordan proposes a bill, and a bunch of Republicans and supporters say, yeah, we need to do that. It'll pass the House if everybody's on board by a mere few, four, five, six votes, whatever it is that they have the majority in. But then it goes to the Senate, which is 51-49 Democrat, and they'll oppose it, and it'll die. And the flow will continue. And even if by some miracle a cinema or a mansion or somebody decided to vote for the bill from coming out of the House, you can get it through the Senate. Biden obviously can very easily veto it, which he will, because he wants this country overrun with migrants, because his intention is to destroy it, literally, from the infrastructure out, destroy it so that it can be rebuilt. And it's not just his goal. He's a puppet. Everybody knows that. Anybody who's ever listened or watched or heard him speak or try to express any coherent thoughts know he's being guided, he's being led, he's being puppet-stringed. But uh, whether it's him or somebody else, he's going to veto it because there's nowhere near the override numbers uh, that are needed. So, yeah, we're, you're mad and I'm mad, and there isn't a whole hell of a lot we can do to do it now other than shine a spotlight on the death. You understand what I'm saying? There are Americans dying daily in record numbers from fentanyl brought into the country across our non-existent Biden border. And it is Biden's border. And he is allowing all of this to happen. We need to start focusing on the ramifications of his decisions. We need to start focusing on the deaths by fentanyl. We need to start focusing on the deaths in the drug trade. We need to start focusing on the deaths uh, and the suffering of the uh, uh, human uh, uh, trafficking victims by the smugglers. We need to start focusing on the terrorists, people on the terror watch list coming across the border. Lord knows how many we have already caught, a bunch of them, but how many of them are among the hundreds of thousands of gotaways that never bothered to turn themselves in or allowed themselves to get caught so they can just say asylum because they've got more to hide. And their identification would, would lead to them being recognized as being on the terror watch list and lead to their capture and lead to their uh, you know returning to their country of origin. That's why they're gotaways. They run because they have to get away. So there's no easy answer here other than just keep spotlighting it and hoping that public pressure on Joe go to, let's go, Brandon, 
increases enough to the point where they know they just can't hide this any longer and they can't um, they can't distract any longer. I started the show by telling you what they're doing. They can't answer the border questions. So what do they do? They light the White House up in rainbow colors and he stands there and says, if you don't support same-sex marriage, you're a racist and an anti-Semite and a transphobe and a homophobe because they're all connected. He said that yesterday, and that takes your eyes off the prize. It takes your eyes off of the real issue, which issues, plural, one of which is this disaster at the border. And by the way, before I take a time out here, I've been wanting to share this with you. The Joe Biden yesterday, who celebrated his big rainbow festival and his love wins and all of that crap about how important it is and how necessary it is to make double legal something that was already legal, nothing happened yesterday. Nothing. Brittany Griner and her, quote, wife, end quote, aren't more married now than they were before. There is no same-sex couple that was married before or has been married in the you know 10-plus years since um, the Supreme Court decision on same-sex marriage made it legal. There is nobody who was married then that hasn't gotten a legitimate divorce that is more married today because of yesterday's signing. This was nothing but deflection and distraction. But it's important as he made those statements of deflection and distraction yesterday about love wins and you can marry who you want to marry and love who you want to love, blah, blah, blah. It's important that we look back just, who's this guy? Who is this guy from 16 years ago? This is 2006. This wasn't in the Dark Ages. This wasn't back in you know uh, uh, ancient American history. This is just 16 years ago. Senator Joe Biden on MSNBC. No, I'm sorry, on NBC's Meet the Press. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We already have a law, the Defense of Marriage Act. We've all voted, not where I voted, and others say, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. Jo- Johnny, I don't know if you can boost that a little on your end. I can't boost it anymore on mine. I want to make sure people hear that. That that audio is not the best audio in the world, but I want to play it again. This was just 16 years ago. Joe Biden bragging about how he voted for the Defense of Marriage Act, and so did so many others. He started to say we all. Then he stopped. Well, no, I did, but not everybody. Voted for the Defense of Marriage Act because it is between one man and one woman. We don't need a constitutional amendment. It's already the law, and he voted for it. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We have a law, the Defense of Marriage Act. We've all voted, not where I voted and others said, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. That's just 16 years ago. Today's Joe Biden would look at 16 years ago Joe Biden and say, bigot, homophobe, anti-Semite, racist. Because he said they're all connected. Don't believe me? He said it yesterday. They're all connected. Me, they need. We have to protect these children so they know they're loved. And we will stand up for them and say I can seek for themselves. You can't speak Folks, for yourself, you maroon. Racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, transphobia, they're all connected. So if you oppose same-sex marriage, 
or if you oppose the mutilation of children's bodies in the name of quote-unquote gender-affirming care, you're a racist, you're a sexist, you are an anti-Semite, you're a homophobe, and you're a transphobe because they're all interconnected. Joe Biden yesterday would have said those things about Joe Biden from 2006. I'd like to hear the Democrats square that. We'll be right back. Holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always write radio with Bob France and the answer. Always write indeed. 1037. Thanks for being with us. AM 1420, the answer. Don't forget we got Jack Windsor coming up about everything going on in the state house right now. Uh, Senate Bill 178 passing through the House committee. It'll go through the House uh, for a floor vote later today, it'll be signed, and there will be a new direction for education in the state of Ohio. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, we'll discuss that a little bit later on. But right now, I want to talk about something that is uh, indisputably bad, uh, and that is the state of our border. We have surrendered our sovereignty under the Biden administration, literally. We have surrendered our security under the Biden administration, also literally. Over 500,000 new encounters in just the last two and a half months since the start of the new fiscal year. 500,000. A new caravan of around 1,500 crossed over from Sunday night into Monday night after being given a police escort through Mexico, for crying out loud. And what do we have when they get here? Well, we have catch and release. All you have to do is say you're here because you are requesting amnesty for some sort of persecution or another in your homeland. In less than a week, we're going to have an end to Title 42 which allows them to um, expel certain individuals on the basis of the threat of COVID, that's going to be over, so it's going to lead to even worse things. And what are we doing in the United States Congress? Well, we're kicking around the idea of amnesty for millions and millions of them already here, including Republicans like Tom Tillis. Joining us now to discuss Numbers USA Vice President Chris Chemelinski. They're sounding the alarm on this issue and so much more. Chris, thanks for the time this morning. How are you? Absolutely. I'm doing well. How are you? You know, I mean, I'd like to say I'm doing well, but I I mean every word I just said in the open here. I feel like we are being abandoned by our leadership. I feel like uh, the the safety and security of the citizens of this country and the legal residents here is in serious jeopardy. We have a record number of uh, fentanyl overdoses in this country. We have a record amount of fentanyl crossing the southern border coming to us from China and other parts of the world, and nobody seems to want to do anything about it. So I'd like to say I'm doing great as we approach Christmas, but I'm quite frankly very, very concerned concerned about the safety and security of our uh, of our citizenry what is your read on where we stand uh what is it seven days from now right the 21st is when title 42 ends um th- this frying pan we're about to leap into the fire from it aren't we yeah yeah i i well first i couldn't i couldn't agree with with you more on on every everything that you said especially uh fearing for the safety and security of of our country i mean this is an unprecedented border search that we're currently currently witnessing, and it's only going to get worse next week when the administration lifts lifts Title Forty Two. And and even though they haven't been they haven't been enforcing it to its fullest extent like the previous administration did, uh, you know, at least it still had some sort of an impact. Um, and now there's going to be no limits. So not only are all the people who cross the border illegally gonna essentially most of them will be able to stay and work here illegally or 
stay and work here legally once they're they're released due to catch and release. But it's going to encourage so many more to come. So you mentioned the 500,000 number just in the first two months of the, the government, the federal fiscal year. That's going to that, I think that's just going to be a, a drop in the pan compared to some of the numbers that we're going to see over the winter months. Yeah, uh, it is. A, it is a terrifying thought, but it is reality. We're talking to uh, Numbers USA Vice President Chris Chemelinski about this unprecedented situation, and it literally is uh, every bit of that. Um, when we talk about catch and release, it's almost just like you know uh, an eye roll because people know full well they're not going to come back. The overwhelming majority of people who say I'm here seeking asylum, and then we release them and say you got to come back for your asylum hearing in three months, in three, six months, twelve months, two years, however long it's going to take. And and the bigger the numbers grow, like you said, five hundred thousand just in this fiscal year, you know, some five million over the course of two years of the Biden administration thus far. As those numbers get larger and larger and larger, Chris. The odds of them actually returning to hold hearings for, you know, determining their asylum claims, you know, it shrinks, it shrinks exponentially. Eventually we're going to have to either clean everybody out or give that blanket of amnesty to all of them, which is uh, what some members of Congress are calling for now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and not just, not just a couple of months or, or, or two years. I'm hearing now it could be six or seven years wow. before they, they get before an immigration judge. So we're just creating this endless backlog of, of immigration cases before the immigration courts. And, and yeah, they're not going to come six, seven months, seven years from now. When, when we've set their court dates, you know, within six months to a year or so from now, they don't show up. How are we going to expect them to come six, six years from now? And, and you're absolutely right. This this whole uh, we have this amnesty proposal offered by by Senator Tom Tillis, Republican of, of North Carolina and, yeah. and Senator uh, Kirsten Sinema and now an independent in Arizona. And it basically trades amnesty for about two million illegal aliens currently living in the United States for just throwing money at the problem. And when you give the Biden administration money without forcing them to change policy. All you're doing is you're giving them money to fact process these folks even faster. Uh, so all it means is more people getting released even quicker than they're getting released now. It doesn't solve the issue. We need Let's, we need some some serious policy changes to prevent this from happening in the future. And Let's to stop talk what's about the second now. part of that sentence. You said when you give the Biden sure. administration money without forcing them to change policy. Let's talk about that part. What does that look like? I just had a caller because I was given some of the numbers that you and I are talking about to the audience um, last segment. And I had a caller say, Bob, I'm just so frustrated. What can we do? What? How do we stop this? Because I feel powerless. And I told him, I said, I do too. We were hoping that we could win a significant enough majority in the House in these midterm elections and take a decent majority in the Senate to send a message to the Biden administration by passing legislation that would stop some of this stuff that he's going to have to go on the record as he runs or his party runs for re-election. He's going to have to go on the record of opposing by by vetoing. You know, we had a chance for those things. But now, given the results of the midterm elections, um, I feel like we have no power whatsoever. So you guys are the experts. You are Numbers USA, and you guys are all over this. What recommendation do you have for my caller and for me, quite frankly, when we say, what can we do to deal with this? Yeah, well, in, in terms of in terms of policy changes, uh, you hit one of the key areas. We have to strengthen the credible fear 
the credible fear bar. And that's how these people get into asylum proceedings. They come in and all they have to do, the magic words are they fear for their lives if they return back home to their home countries. Boom, they get put into the asylum, into the uh, asylum chute. So, and then they can, and then they can stay and work here legally until their asylum hearing, hearing comes up several years down the line. So we have to strengthen that. Most of these people have their asylum cases rejected once they get before a judge. Why is that happening? Because the credible fear standard is so low. It has to be at the same level as the bar for actually getting accepted for asylum. So you do that, I think. But that's why so many of them don't show up, right? Right, right, because they know they're going to lose their court case. And then secondly, one thing that the Biden administration is doing for the folks that come across the border illegally and don't claim asylum is you're using something called advanced parole, which allows them to simply release them into the United States. They put them into deportation proceedings, but until their deportation proceeding actually occurs, they release them, catch and release them into the United States, into the interior of the country. And many of them don't appear for their court deadlines. So I think we need to force the administration to hold these people in detention facilities until their court date rolls around. Uh, and and we have to eliminate this this executive power where they can just grant parole. To you mean detention facilities, want. Chris, like the, the the nation of Mexico? Because that's what we were doing, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what President Trump worked yeah. out with the Mexican government for crying out loud. Let them remain it, there. It that's really where the is. detention facility is. And and remain in Mexico worked when people came yeah. across and they tried to claim asylum and we sent them back to Mexico. Guess what? The border surge of 2017 stopped. Because these folks know the reason why they keep coming is because they know the Biden administration is going to release them to the United States. So if you take that magnet away from them, they will stop coming. But until the administration does that, and they're not willing to do it. So Congress is going to have to force them. I think House Republicans will put forward legislation in the next Congress. But you still have to get the the 60 vote threshold in in the Senate, which is going to be controlled by Chuck Schumer. So that's going to be hard. So I think the Republicans have to connect some of this stuff, some of these policy changes to funding for the federal government in these spending bills. If they can make that connection and say, hey, uh, uh, Secretary Mayorkas at DHS, if you want your salary next year, this is what you need to do. You need to actually end catch and release by doing X, Y and Z. We're talking to Chris Chemelinsky, Vice President at Numbers USA. Do you guys at Numbers have uh, numbers in terms of an approximation of how many dollars, tax dollars, are spent fighting illegal immigration in this country every year, or, or just last year? And then do you have an expectation based on crossings and encounters so far in this fiscal year, what we're looking at? So in terms of costs for uh, what we've experienced over the last 18 months, it's a little too early to get our hands on that sort of data. In order to compile numbers, we know historically it's usually somewhere in the forty billion dollar ballpark uh, each year. The, the cost on taxpayers for for supporting people who are in the country illegally that that goes and yeah, some of them are paying taxes because they're obviously buying things, so they're paying state taxes and and they're buying gas, so they're paying gas taxes and and they may be renting property, so they're paying property taxes through their rent. So they are paying into the system. But they're still pulling a whole lot more out of the system. That's their, you know, their drain on our healthcare system. Uh, we need we need public services for just the fact that they're living here: police, uh, ambulances, fire, fire, fire departments, 
So we need those basic services, which we all pitch into as a community. So that's broken up as a share. And a lot of them have kids that go to public school. Mm-hmm. And of course, that bill is, is put on American taxpayers. So we know it's somewhere in the, in the $40 billion range for each year. A lot of that is incurred on the states, not so much on the federal government. And that's why you're seeing states like Texas and Arizona and some of these other interior states where where illegal border crossers have been relocated to standing up and and trying to take a stand against the Biden administration because they're the ones that are going to have to deal with the burden of the costs, not so much the federal government. We're talking to Chris Shemolinsky. He's the vice president at Numbers USA. A couple of final questions. You mentioned Tom Tillis, obviously working with cinema and creating some sort of an amnesty uh, deal going on here. You know, I, I said we have a 51-49 deficit in the Senate, but when you've got Republicans like him joining with the other side, it's even worse than that. And I fear that there are other rhinos, if you want to use that terminology. I know it's overplayed, but but there are others who are not committed to conservative causes and principles, including national security and national sovereignty, who might join in. Do you believe there are other Republicans who are going to push for this amnesty, and it's something that we won't be able to stop? In the Senate, yes. And, and there's a, there's a handful on the Republican side, but I think if Kevin McCarthy wants to be speaker and wants to remain the speaker in the next Congress, um, he, he would be foolish to bring any sort of an amnesty bill to the House floor. So we, 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 we think we feel pretty good about stopping something bad in the House of Representatives. But in the Senate, you know that Chuck Schumer wants to do this. You know that there are a number of Democrats, well, pretty much the entire Democratic Party, but a lot of them that are motivated by this. And, and want to get something done. On on the Republican side, the usual players are Lindsey Graham. But Lindsey Graham has been pretty tough, and he's already pushed back on the Tilla Cinema plan. So he said, we can't even be talking about this while we have a border crisis going on. Um, so there, there are enough, whether or not they can get enough to get to 60 votes in the Senate, I think that's going to be more difficult. But that's what I think this Tilla Cinema plan is. It's not so much for the lame duck session that we're currently watching and monitoring. I think they're trying to lay the groundwork for, for the 118th Congress. So we're concerned, um, but at least the senators that we've historically been concerned about are saying the right things. We just hope we can keep them in line. Chris, last question for you. Um, it has been kind of a principal goal of Numbers USA in the years that I've been following you guys and appreciating your work to put a target number on the uh, on the number of immigrants who should be brought into this country legally and illegally. In fact, your your founder, uh, Roy Beck, and this is right at the top of the homepage, the key factor in immigration policy is choosing the right number of authorized immigrants for future years. To choose a lower number does not imply anything negative about the immigrants already here legally in this country. We are talking about the future annual level of immigration that is best, best for both native-born U.S. citizens and foreign-born U.S. citizens alike. So that's always been a goal, and I think it's the right goal, but I never hear it getting any traction whatsoever where we can say, we will take in X number of people in the next year or in the in the next two years, five years, whatever the grand plan is. Um, and we would like, of course, for that to be merit-based. People who are coming in to bring something to strengthen our country, not to weaken our country. Um, what are What is Numbers USA doing on Capitol Hill to advance that very long-held goal? Great, great question, and, and thanks for asking that one. We've we've been very supportive of legislation that has been put forth in both the House and the Senate. In the Senate, Senator Tom Cotton, for example, has introduced legislation that would create a points-based, merit-based system.
similar to what you just described, it would drastically reduce our legal immigration numbers that we currently have now, which average around 1.2 million a year. That is, that's ignoring the illegal border crossers. That's just the, the legal permanent residents that we're bringing in every single year. It's about 1.2 million. The cotton legislation that we have worked with his office on, on, on drafting, that would, that would result in about five or 600,000, which is a lot closer to how our historical averages, especially the average number of annual entries between uh, the end of World War II and roughly the 1990s, early 1990s. Uh, so that's one piece of legislation that we're working on. There's a House companion version as well, but then there's legislation in the House of Representatives, including uh, the Nuclear Priority Act, which would end chain migration and legislation to end the visa lottery, uh, and, and also legislation that would reform our employment-based green card system as well and move it more towards uh, not necessarily a points-based, merit-based system, but but have better selection of, of the employment-based green cards that we sh- issue each year. So we've been working on legislation for years and years and years. We just, like I said, we just need to get floor votes on this stuff, and that's been the hardest challenge. Yeah, it would have been nice if we'd have um, actually taken the Senate runs seriously and gotten the majority there right. and actually be able to call those things to floor votes on that chamber as well. Chris Chemelinski, uh, working very, very hard along with the great team at Numbers USA on this issue, going to hopefully stop in its tracks any movement to uh, provide amnest- amnesty for either DACA recipients or anybody else uh, until we get a handle on this. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for the time. Please keep up the great work. Keep us posted of any new developments, and we'll love to have you back on. Will do. Thanks. Thank you, Chris. Chris Shumlinski, he is uh, Vice President at Numbers USA. It's 1054. This is the story, by the way, that Biden doesn't want you to know exists. That's why he went to Arizona for the CHIP uh, uh, little press conference um, in uh, uh, last week in Arizona. And when he was there, he was asked directly by a reporter, now that you're in a border state, are you going to go down and see the border? And he said, and I quote, there's more important things going on. Holy cow. There's more important things going on than the invasion of our country. He said this out loud. He's never been to the border as vice president for eight years or president now for two and a half. He's never been to the border to see firsthand what crisis looks like and to maybe, just maybe, be spurred into action. Meanwhile, he's hosting drag queen press conferences at the White House, signing ceremonies, lighting up the White House in rainbow colors in order to take the attention away from what Chris Chemelinski and I just spoke of. I'll be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I 
have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Our number three is underway at nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. It is a Wednesday. It is the 14th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And I say we start this hour hot. Girls grow up to be the mommies. Boys grow up to be the daddies. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. From a boy, Fred Rogers, straight out of the Trophy, PA. Fred Rogers in the house. You know, everybody's fancy. You. Me. Born a boy, you stay a boy. Everybody's fancy. You. Me. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Girls are girls right from the start. Now only boys can be men, only girls can be ladies Just like the leather trim in the back of my fans When you're cruising down the street and it happens again When you know she's a poppy but she thinks she's a can When you're out on the green but your ass are the caddies Only girls can be mamas, only boys can be daddies Now you're in a lane in the streets, it's the daughters But when you're in the hood, it's my boy, Mr. Riders Everybody's fancy You Me Everybody's fancy Everybody's fine Your body's fancy and so is mine Some are fancy on the outside Me Some are fancy Fancy on the inside. Me. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy and so is mine. Born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. Passing my grabbing to speak from the heart. Hey, but two genders, two genders, ain't nothing but men and women. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy and so is mine. You. Me. Yeah, Fred Rogers in the house. Everybody's fine. Tell it like it is. You, me, featuring Pastor Mark Robinson. Hey, but Featuring your boy, Johnny Hyde. <laughs> By way of Bob France. WHK, take us home. There's a song called Everybody's Fancy. That I think everybody's fine. Oh, yeah. DJ Johnny Hiles. Cutting it, spitting those rhymes, bringing in, uh, how about the OG, Pastor Mark Robinson, as, along with, of course, Fred Rogers and his hey, neighborhood. Out freaking standing remix of, of Mr. Rogers just laying out the truth. Mr. Rogers brought science every afternoon to every household in America. After all, there were only three channels. Uh, you had to watch them. All right, uh, let's bring in Jack Windsor. Our man Jack Windsor is, of course, the founder and the editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. He is also my co-host on Talking Smack with Bob and Jack, heard every, live every uh, Monday and Thursday, and then podcast wherever it is that you get your podcast. Jack Dub, how you doing, my friend? Bob, I'm fancy and I'm fine. I'm super fantastic. Are you liking that remix that our man Johnny Haas put together? Dude, that's that's fire. It is unbelievable. We got to make that yeah, viral. Man. I don't know how, but we got to make that viral. First of all, you've got to put it on your uh, viral Facebook page. You've got to put it on your investigative reporter page. Everywhere else that you can find it. Of course, we got to play it on uh, on Talking Smack. 
you know that that's a absolutely good yeah we gotta we yeah gotta, man that uh, I, <laughs> I like it I love it I'm gonna uh, listen here's a warning to anybody who follows me on social media you're gonna be inundated with that over the next couple of days so just prepare. I've already put it on my phone. It's on my playlist now. It's mixed in with actual regular music. <laughs> just me driving around, and the, I'd have my phone plugged into my uh, my CarPlay on my truck, and I'm going to be driving around, and suddenly I'm just going to hear the Johnny Hiles remix of uh, of Mr. Rogers' Everybody's Fancy, and I'm just going to, you know what? I'm going to put my windows down every time I come up to a stop sign. I'm going to let everybody hear it. That's what I'm going to do. Amen. <laughs> Which I haven't done since I was like sixteen, but uh, I'll do it. Uh, all right, Jack Windsor. We got a lot, a lot of work to do here. We got some good news. We got some questionable news coming from Ohio, yep. uh, from uh, Columbus, rather. First one we're going to start yep. with. I talked to Brendan Shea last hour. He, of course, I'm sorry, yep. uh, back at nine thirty-five. Finally, the Brendan Shea resolution in support of girls in support of existing Title IX protections uh, was passed ten to seven to one by the Ohio Board mm-hmm. of Education. That's a great piece of news. Uh, it needed to happen. Now, whether or not um, the punishments come from the feds by way of the Department of, uh, of Agriculture not feeding the school kids of Ohio because they refuse to cave in on this thing or not, time will tell. Um, yeah. But then I'm going to tie these two things together when I ask for your commentary, Jack. Uh, earlier this morning, I am told that Senate Bill 178, which would replace the powers of that very same Board of Education we just talked about with a director, a cabinet-level position appointed by the governor to run the Department of uh, Education and Workforce. It passed out of a House committee, and it is going to pass out of the full House in the Ohio's General Assembly, and then Mike DeWine is going to sign it, which would mean that great steps, like the one just taken by the Ohio School Board, uh, the excuse me, Board of Education, would essentially be wiped out. They won't have a chance to do that ever again because now it's all going to be left up to the director of this uh, Department of Education and Workforce through uh, Bill 178. So, Jack Windsor, take it from there. Do you think 178 is still necessary? Not that you did before. Mm-hmm. I think you called yourself bipolar on the issue. Yeah. But um, is it really as necessary? Now that we've seen, we can sometimes get action out of the Board of Education. Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm still polarized on this issue, Bob, um, and this is commentary, not news, but uh, after hearing the Ohio Federation of Teachers President Melissa Cropper uh, pushing back hard against Senate Bill 178 today in its committee hearing, uh, I just kind of went, wow, uh, isn't it interesting that the, the teachers union is pushing back against this so hard? Well, obviously, the, the reason they are is that they control the bureaucracy uh, and, and they can get anything that they want. At this point, it seems uh, so uh, with 178, the other part uh, that I need to be clear on and uh, I need to really grab a, a copy of the bill as it's going to go to the floor. But my understanding, Bob, I don't know if this was brought up this morning, but there were three bills amended into Senate Bill 178 to make it more palatable. Uh, one of those bills. I have heard bill something 70. about that, Jack, but I did not know what those three bills were. If you know, lay them on us. Yes. So I know two of the three better than the third. The first is Scott Lipp's uh, House Bill 747, which prohibits state institutions of higher education and private colleges from discriminating against individuals based on COVID-19 vaccination status. And the other one is House Bill 739, which basically says that no public or chartered non-public school can discriminate against a student and individual um, 
whether or not the individual has received one or more doses of the vaccine against COVID-19 and whether or not the individual uses uh, an immunity passport. So uh, those two combined say, look, our, our elementary high school kids and college kids can't be discriminated against. My understanding is that Sarah Fowler, uh, Arthur Fowler, excuse me, uh, state representative Republican also has a bill that was amended into it. And it has a lot to do with homeschooling and language that would protect homeschooling in the event that this new department is structured. So those three bills, my understanding uh, is that they were amended into Senate Bill uh, 178. You and I have talked about this almost ad nauseum here, but, um, you know, just a reminder um, that 178 does a couple of key things. It, it really renames the Department of Education, uh, the Department of Education, and it renames it the Department of Education and Workforce. Um, that director, the director of that department is a cabinet level uh, director appointed by the governor, approved by the Senate. Now, uh, the Department of Education and Workforce would have two separate divisions. One would be primary and secondary education. The one, the other would be career and technical. And there would be deputy directors appointed to lead each of those respective divisions. However, um, the Department of Education and Workforce would now have supreme power, uh, and the state superintendent would be an advisor to the board. Um, the current Board of Education would maintain some power and some authority as it relates to um, licensures yeah. and you know penalizing teachers. But the bulk of the things that parents are really concerned about, uh, curricula, uh, those types of things, th- that power would reside with the director of the Department of Education and Workforce. So um, that's really 178 in a nutshell, and I expect that it will pass. Um, it is now sub-Senate Bill 178, which means that it's been amended. It will pass the House. It will get sent to the governor. And he's already said that he'll sign the bill because uh, I don't know if anybody caught this, but he said, hey, I don't know very many governors in the country that wouldn't want to have control over education. And as we talked about on our podcast, there's a part in my gut that says, man, I've seen this movie before and it doesn't end well. I have a little trouble with just that language. Um, what governor wouldn't want control of education? I would, I would probably prefer to hear a governor say, what governor wouldn't want parents to be in control of their kids' education through collaboration with school boards? Um, I don't like the idea of a governor being in control. I don't like the idea of a director of the Department of Education and Workforce having all of that power. It's consolidated. Too much of it is in one place, particularly, Jack, because of what you and I talked about with Senator Brenner uh, on our last Talk and Smack episode. And that is Governor Mike DeWine's track record of appointments to important positions like this. As I asked Andy Brenner the other night, you know, what if Mike DeWine makes the education version of Amy Acton as his director, just like he chose her to run the state of Ohio's response to COVID, which was a disaster? What if he chooses the educational version of Amy Acton to run education in the state? Well, I think you've got the issue with Amy Acton. I think you have the issue with Sam Randazzo and House Bill 6, who uh, was a minion there for uh, utility companies. Um, I think you have, most recently, Cleveland State University. We uh, spun out a short article on this that was actually first published through the College Fix, but it talks about Cleveland State University uh, and their board of trustees voting unanimously um, to eliminate from the law school the name John Marshall. Now, John Marshall was the fourth chief justice of the United States, 
And so the board of trustees said, "Hey, um, no, we're not going to accept that. Uh, we're going to we're going to rebrand this and, and rename this law school." And of course, you know that has a lot to do with revisionist history. Sure. Um, but th- all of that to say this: um, uh, eight of those six appointees uh, to the board of trustees are Dewine appointees. So um, that's Mike Dewine's appointment uh, history in action. Currently, is that you have uh, woke ideology embraced by folks? And by the way, at the top of this hour, I'll I'll just use this opportunity to say it. Um, you mentioned that Brendan Shea's resolution passed. It passed ten to seven to one, which means there was one abstention. So uh, eleven folks are uh, are elected, right? And and eight are appointed. Mm-hmm. Um, of the folks who voted no, Manchester voted no. She was a Dewine reappointment in 2020. La Mancha abstained. La Mancha is going to be reappointed or attempted to be reappointed by the governor. He abstained. Uh, Kern, Dewine appointee, wasn't there. And Bedell. Um, who was appointed by DeWine in 2022, voted no. So four of the seven no or abstentions are DeWine appointees. Um, so I think there is cause for concern if you are a conservative parent who believes that, um, you know, as uh, Mr. Rogers would say, that boys are boys and girls are girls and girls should compete against girls and they should have privacy and parents should have the right to intercede in their kids' education, um, even if the school has embraced this whole child ideology, which means that now the school thinks they should be in control of your kids' mental, emotional, and physical well-being. Um, if you believe that you have a right as a parent to be in the, in, in the number one position, that you might have a concern that this new Department of Education and Workforce um, would, would go the wrong direction without direct representation, right? I mean, that's really part of the issue is that you're voting people onto the school board and the power's been taken away. What kind of precedent does that set, by the way? If we don't like the way the vote goes, we're just going to, um, you know, basically castrate the position or the body that's been elected and we're going to create something else and consolidate power and, and create more executive overreach. Um, we just came off of two years of people saying that the General Assembly was about as you know useful as a warm bucket of spit. And, uh, you know, this kind of feels like that all over again. We're talking to Jack Windsor. He is the founder and editor of the Ohio Press Network, which you should visit daily, multiple times a day at theohiopressnetwork.com and learn what's going on in Ohio and around the country as well, but uh, particularly particularly with a focus on Ohio. Jack is also my co-host of uh, Talking Smack with Bob and Jack, uh, a podcast that you can listen to uh, virtually anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts. Jack, uh, another story from Columbus that I found very interesting that I just saw yesterday. This was reported by the Dispatch. The Ohio Senate also voted yesterday to require photo identification and to tighten up absentee ballot deadlines. Uh, those sound like good things, and my first blush reaction was, wow, that's terrific. We do need to require photo ID. Uh, and uh, and we should tighten things up. We should also tighten up ballot drop boxes and uh, anything else that, can, that might lead to potential election fraud. But I don't know that these particular measures passed by the Senate are as strong and as solid as they need to be. Do you have any thoughts on what you've seen there so far? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like 178, right? You go, you, you want something better, you want something more, but is it palatable? Is it something that you can live with and, and build on? And so uh, I think if you're talking about, it's, it's House Bill 294, I believe, which is the one um, that was put together by uh, Representative Seitz. And it does a couple of things. It makes sure that you only have one drop box in each county. Uh, it makes sure that any ballots that are received are postmarked uh, on uh, by election day. Uh, but the new law would say they have to arrive by 7.30 p.m. 
on election day as opposed to up to 10 days after. And you can't vote with, uh, you know, utility bills, bank statements, things of that nature. Uh, it would uh, require a photo ID. Representative Sites said that uh, the goal is to issue free photo IDs to anybody that wants one and that doesn't have a driver's license. Uh, but those things would be required in order for somebody to cast a vote. And, of course, your, you know, usual cast of characters, uh, American Civil Liberties Union, uh, the Ohio Education, interestingly, the Ohio Education Association weighed in on this matter. Uh, not, not that they, you know, with absenteeism and, uh, you know, chronic funding issues <laughs> and challenges, not that they don't already have enough on their plate, right? Um, but those two have weighed in and said, no, this is just awful. It's a bad idea, wholly unnecessary in a way to keep people from voting. Um, but it looks like that this may pass. Yeah, well, it already has passed the Senate, it says, uh, at least according to what I read yesterday. So it's going to have to go through the House then and get and then get Mike DeWine's signature. My, my, one of my questions, or I guess, like you said, you always want more, and that's true. If they're going to limit the drop boxes to one, why, why not just eliminate drop boxes? Unless they are going to be monitored 24-7, we have all seen countless examples of, uh, you know, ballot harvesting and mules delivering big buckets full of, of uh, ballots to drop boxes. Because, obviously, it's different than going into a monitored election precinct and turning in one vote. They're turning in, you know, scores of them, and Lord only knows how many of them are valid and where they got them. So uh, the Dropbox issue is one that I think is important, and I'm glad to know they limited us to one per location. But unless they're going to be guaranteed to be monitored 24-7, I still have a problem with the security of Dropboxes. Yeah, you know, I do too. Um, And (laughs) this is one of those things, you know, politics is the art of making decisions, right? And in any decision or negotiation, you start high, you start low, and the idea is you meet in the middle. But, you know, the, the challenge with some of this polarizing fake language about, you know, voter suppression and, um, you know, not wanting to hear the voice of the people, uh, that's something that the left uses. And, and you just feel like when you give them something like a drop box that you're honoring something that's completely false. I mean, the reality yeah. is if any human being wants a driver's license, they got to go through the steps to get the driver's license. If they if they are to appear in court, they better appear in court or they're going to be met with a bench warrant for arrest. Like we just create this false notion that people are just lazy or they're inadequate or they're too dumb or they're too stupid. I mean, it's really demeaning actually when you get to the bottom of it and you go, wait a minute, you're telling me that people don't have the wherewithal to get out and get a a voter ID or to get, get some sort of picture ID and get to the polls. That's crazy. This is the freest, is. greatest country in the world with, with amazing technology it's and transportation. And frankly, You're telling me that's the case. Jack, the people who say that are not only insulting, they're generally speaking, they're very racist because they yeah. always say that this is going to hit the minority community harder because it's harder for them to get these very simple to obtain IDs and all of the different formats that they will accept, you know, driver's licenses, state identifications, free of charge at the DMV and all of these things. But they literally are saying it's harder for uh, people of color to obtain these things than it is not. That's why it's an attempt to suppress the vote or disenfranchise minorities. That is about as insulting to a race as it can be, as, as it can get, I should say, um, which is Preach. which is another, uh, you know, another, another angle altogether. This. Jack Windsor is the um, editor-in-chief and the founder of the Ohio Press Network. Again, follow his work and his team's work at Ohio pressnetwork.com and of course listen to him with me on talk and smack with bob and jack every monday and thursday live and of course uh, wherever you get your podcast jack windsor talk to you soon thanks bob thank you jack that's jack dub it's 11 28 we'll come right back after this
This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. It's 1138. Um, I'm going to take a phone call here, but I want to make sure I have time for a story that was in our newscast that um, just it needs it deserves a response it merits a response i'll do it after i talk to georgianne who's been waiting patiently in willoughby to get on the air during our guests uh georgianne thank you for your patience go right ahead hi bob it's been a while since i've called you but my daughter called me this morning mm-hmm. um her her little girl is a kindergartner in a very good good school system Something she told me made my head explode, and it was about your topic of, you know, indoctrination of these kids. Her little classmate, who's also a kindergartner, says to her, I'm going to marry a boy I'm gonna, someday, and my little granddaughter didn't know what to say, so she mentioned this to my daughter, and my daughter simply was taken aback, and she said, well, we don't believe in that because of our religion, but I am just furious i don't know where this little boy got this idea is it from his parents is it from the school is it from a combination it, it's just it just boggles my mind i'm so furious television internet schools mm-hmm. yes they're being bombarded uh social mm-hmm. media and i know he's only in kindergarten but yes i mean I, yeah. I wish i knew what the average age was when parents are giving their kids smartphones now uh you know uh, so they can have yeah. uh, access to the to the internet and to social media I know mm-hmm. it's I know it's in the primary grades. It's probably not kindergarten, but mm-hmm. uh, there are still enough uh, enough influences. Because if this boy, this young boy you just talked about, didn't say mm-hmm. specifically somebody that was like his good friend and said, mm-hmm. "I'm going to marry Tommy someday," who is his mm-hmm. friend, which is just goofy kids being goofy well, it, kids. Yeah, saying stuff, I'm going to yeah. marry a boy is just I'm going to find one because I want to yeah. marry a boy. It's scary. That means this this stuff has been put into his head. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. Uh, he's been asked, do you like boys or girls? Would you marry mm-hmm. a boy or girl by somebody, somewhere, and encouraged to do that, saying, you know, little boys don't have to marry little girls. You can marry a boy if you want. This is what grooming, the essence of grooming is. It's grooming, it's recruiting, and it's coercive, and it's, and it's dangerous yes. as hell. And now, thank you, you said, for finding that Mr. Rogers song. I oh, yeah, love right? that. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. it. How appropriate for now. It is. But mm-hmm. but to yeah. to the point that you made, Georgianne, before you go here, you said that he goes to a, to a good school system. Yeah. Maybe maybe yeah. not. I, I I won't judge it because I don't know it. No, he does. But if I were he you, does. I would have your daughter look into that a little bit and find out yeah. and say I would like mm-hmm. to talk to the kindergarten oh. teacher. I would like to know if uh. they cover these subjects in classes okay. or in groups and find out because if yeah. you're granddaughter's friend said this i Mm -hmm. promise you he's not the only one that's the scary thing bob it's very scary as a grandma you know i i'm like a ferocious protector you know here of my grandchildren yeah and uh, i'm i'm like along with that fellow that you talked to earlier that 80 year old i'm i'm getting there and uh he said what what can we do what and that's my feeling what can you do you're bombarded you're outnumbered Um, all we can do is pray about it, too. Pray is a, prayer is a huge part of it. Yes, indeed, I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got to do more than that, and we do have to take action. And part of the action now needs to be for your daughter to ask the principal, teacher, somebody, uh, if they can find out a little bit about whether or not this stuff is discussed in the kindergarten classroom. Because if it is, it needs to be nipped in the bud immediately. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. God bless. I appreciate call. the call. Um, this is This is a different kind of infuriating, but also infuriating. 
little bit earlier on in the program, in our newscast, we had this story about what's going on in Oregon. Governor Kate Brown in Oregon has announced that she is using her executive clemency powers to commute the sentences of all death row inmates, 17 of them in Oregon, um, who are on death row and are having their sentences changed to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. The first thing you think of when you hear a story like that is, who are these people? What did they do? Why are they no longer going to pay with their lives? And we had the answer to that question in our newscast. Listen. Outgoing Oregon Governor Kate Brown commutes the sentences of all 17 of the state's inmates on death row to life in prison. Brown says she believes justice is not advanced by taking a life, and she believes the state shouldn't be in the business of executing people. She also ordered the execution chamber be dismantled. One of the men spared from death killed his wife and children in 2001. Another man starved and tortured the three-year-old daughter of his live-in girlfriend for weeks before he murdered her. Prosecutors say it was the worst case of child abuse they'd ever seen. These just two of the 17 murderers on Oregon's death row that will benefit from the actions of the governor. Tasha Stevens reporting. I wanted you to hear that because I wanted you to, um, I don't know, wallow in the same disgust for it that I was and that I am when I heard that. Um, I, I'm particularly sensitive to, to crimes against children, probably not Rightly so. Um, the first one that was talked about there, the individual who killed his wife and children, the wife's life meant just as much as the children's. But I am particularly sensitive to the most defenseless among us. And the second one, it just made my blood boil. Uh, and it is again, now that I've heard it again, torturing and starving a child for a period of weeks, the child of a live-in girlfriend, but not his child. Torture, the word should make you physically ill. Torturing a child, starving a child in such a way to the point where the Children's and Family Services you just heard there said this is the worst case of child abuse they've ever seen. This individual cannot be allowed to breathe free air or even confined air in a prison for the rest of his life on the dime of the Oregon taxpayers, on the dime of the federal taxpayers. This person should not be allowed to live unless... This person is going to live the remaining few weeks of his life being starved and tortured. And unless starvation and torture goes with the life imprisonment, then death penalty, the death penalty is absolutely applicable here. I'm just, I wanted you to share that. I want you to think about it. I want you to kind of, uh, you know, toss it around in your head a little bit. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. Thanks, everyone, for being on the uh, program today. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.